Hello, my name is Philip Miroten, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, the premise of this show is that we need to go beyond current ways of thinking to find truth, and if not truth, at least a more holistic way of looking at the physical world and our internal states. Right now, we have two main conditioning boxes, two main conditioning beliefs. These are the boxes of science and religion. Science is built of this materialistic paradigm. Religion as we know, has many hallmarks of dogma and orthodox belief systems. In order to go beyond these conditioning beliefs, we're going to have to rise above it. And here, Einstein's often quoted aphorism comes into play. He said, No problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. And this is often repeated. But just repeating and saying it really doesn't give the meaning that I think he intended. And that is, we need to rise up in consciousness, our awareness, to go beyond these two boxes, to go beyond our conditioning beliefs, to find something, another way of looking at the world, that brings the substance of science and religion, spirituality and science, into one overarching united way of looking at things we've had a lot of guests in the show who've written books on topics in this area about the need to go beyond our conditioning beliefs today i'm happy to have frank huguenard who is not only an author but he's also a documentary film producer specializing in films on science and spirituality you could check out his website and see his films for no charge at www.beyondmefilm.com. I'm also uh, also add in right now before I introduce Frank that his recent film Beyond Reason has been nominated for a People's Choice Award. Welcome to the show, Frank. Thank you so much for having me, Philip. Now, what obviously appealed to me about your movies is this concept of going beyond things. Your one, your I think your first film was called. Beyond Me, is that right, the first one? That's correct. Okay. It's Beyond Me, then Beyond Belief, and Beyond Reason. Uh, ostensibly, we need to first go beyond ourselves, uh, and then we go beyond our belief systems. Our belief systems basically incarcerate us into a form, uh, a conceptual way of being that we need to break free from. And then ultimately, we need to go beyond reason, which is to say that our intellects can only take us so far. And at the end of the day, if we're going to really move forward and evolve, we need to go beyond our intellects. So what inspired you to sort of choose this theme of going beyond? <laughs> well, it's a pretty long story. Um, you know, I had a, a bit of a train wreck in my life a dozen years ago or so, and we can talk about that. But uh, one thing led to another, and I began uh, the process of meditating, meditating every day. After a few years, um, 
after just four years, which is a re remarkably short amount of time, I started having experiences that I could only call pure divine love or pure bliss for an hour or two hours every day. It was quite amazing uh, in the summer of 2007. It was really remarkable. And so the first thing you do when you uh, begin to have these kinds of transcendent experiences is you want to share this with people. You want to say, hey, wow, there's this amazing state of consciousness that we're all entitled to. It's our birthright, and and here's what it is. And so I just wrote a book, uh, a manuscript called Beyond Me, and uh, and then all the other films just sort of followed after that. So you worked in Silicon Valley as a product developer, and I understand that you were there during some of the heyday of the dot-com boom. Uh, back in the heady days of the 80s and 90s. So what what led you to make this transition from being in Silicon Valley and, and that exciting world to getting into the, the subjects of science and spirituality? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I was at in, in Silicon Valley. Apple Computer was about 50 or 100 employees, I think. It was quite, it was a small little building, I remember. Um, and I worked all through the 80s and 90s, did basically everything on the desktop, any type of computer development that was their software development. And ultimately, around uh, 2000, um, I put together a product that was functionally the equivalent, actually even superior to what Skype is. Um, and uh, it actually had a lot of features and Skype doesn't, including YouTube functionality. You can upload videos and you can watch other people's videos. And Skype got bought for $3 billion. YouTube got bought for $3 billion. And I ended up getting fired. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is, yeah, I know. Hey, you know, I'm a happy man. So it's Yeah, not, it's probably it's worked not, out for the better in the long run. But sometimes yeah. you have to see how, how long that long run is. But anyways... Right, and this happened at the same time as my best friend was losing her battle with breast cancer, and uh, so my life was, you know, at the age of forty, uh, you know, was was just <laughs> I was not a happy camper, and uh, so I was miserable for a few years, and I had always dabbled into things beyond, you know, I've had psychic experiences my entire life that were quite unexplainable by modern science. And um, and I'd always dabbled in meditation and that kind of thing. And so about 10 or 11 years ago, I really dove into meditation big time and, and took that on as, uh, you know, it's sort of, you know what, I've tried everything else. I'm going to go in this direction. Um, and then ultimately, once my manuscript was written, I never published it. But, uh, you know, I... I uh, I just wanted to share the knowledge in the book, and so I actually just took all the software development expertise I had, and it turns out that making a documentary film for me was a lot like writing software. Hmm. The way, yeah, so the way you use the tools and the way it's structured. Um, so it actually only took me eight weeks, start to finish, to release Beyond May. Wow, that, that well, it's it's really a well done uh, film, and again, a lot of folks have these personal experiences like you apparently did where you where I don't know whether it's the right term is a spiritual experience or some kind of inner awakening but but how how do you just how would you describe it I mean to somebody on the street because uh, I think we I think we all may have them but we don't know what the what the um to call them or how to describe or or how to describe them how would you put in your words what did it feel like when you were 
when you were um, in this state of transcendence? Well, I mean, one of my favorite quotes on this is, how would you describe uh, to somebody who doesn't know the definition of sweet what sugar is? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's white. Oh, so yeah. it's like snow. Yeah. Well, oh, no, it point. tastes like honey. Oh, so yeah. it has the taste of clovers in it. Yeah. Or tastes like a peach. Yeah. Or, you know, you can't really describe what it is to somebody who has never really experienced. There's no context for it. Yes. And so, and if you look through history at you know, all the great masters, Jesus and Buddha and Krishna and Muhammad, etc., Rumi, basically they had two different um, forms of attempting to communicate this to people. One was through the use of parables, you know, oh, the kingdom of heaven is within you, or the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Well, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> or, or the other thing is, is they, like Buddha did, they said... Uh, look, here's what it is. Here's the here's the sort of basic theory behind it and the knowledge. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit and don't move and just observe your breath and observe the sensations in your body for a period of time, and then you'll experience it yourself. So yes. those, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing to just try to explain to people what yeah. it is that they're missing out on. Yeah, I mean, it seems like probably all of the great spiritual traditions begin there, and the reason why this is important is because in the modern scientific world, and we're going to be getting to this in a couple of minutes, where consciousness or spirituality is either ignored or trivialized, but in doing that, it, it, the scientific model right now may be ignoring the most powerful part of what we are as people. And so let's, let's talk about science for a second here because your your documentary beyond reason is really about the limitations of science in many ways and about how we need to go beyond science or beyond the current paradigm so so what what is it about science that you think we need to be changing well uh, you know we can we could really talk about this for hours First of all, I would like to point out that um, the modern scientific method has been around for approximately 400 years, give or take. However, science has been around for thousands of years. We couldn't have done all the things we've done on this planet. If you look at all the various structures that have been built and the roads and the metallurgy, all these things, these are all done with science. And the word science is derived from the Latin word scient. In other words, in many traditions, God is meant to be omniscient, which means all-knowing. So the word science from its Latin derivation, all it really means is how to know something and the body of knowledge that that process of knowing uh, you've collected over the years. And so we've always had science. And science, I mean, I can tell just in talking to you that you've got a scientific mind. And all that really means is you've got an insatiable thirst for knowing, for wanting to know the truth, what is the truth. And because of the oppression of the Vatican over the, the, the um, medieval times, um, and their, their really control over the academic world, uh, scientists really broke out with the modern scientific method of Sir Francis Bacon and Galileo and Newton and Copernicus. And they sort of 
eventually just threw out the baby with the bathwater and they just said, well, anything that's not measurable in the material world, we, we're not going to look at that. We just can't include it in our equations. So it's something like reincarnation. Science can never factor it into everything from animal instincts and plant growth to personality disorders and psychoanalysis, um, which is extremely limiting, of course. And so um, science really needs to incorporate these other non, non-physical aspects. But I would say rather than saying what science needs to change, the point of, of beyond reason is that there's a 4,000-year-old uh, method of science um, that is perfectly useful in yeah. this aspect. Yeah, I, th- I think that you do a good job of distinguishing what I would call the method of science versus the substance of science. Because, because nobody uh, is arguing about this, the method of science. It's pretty hard to say from, any, from, from a mystical uh, standpoint, a spiritual standpoint, or an intelligent design standpoint, uh, that the method of science is wrong because it's, so, it's, 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 it's basically common sense. That you come up with an idea, it's called a big. It's you know we call it a big word. It's an hypothesis. You do testing. You see if your guess, your hypothesis, has any weight to it, and you continue doing tests. And if it survives some tests, you might have a theory, and a theory is used to explain things. And so it's it's basic common sense. It, it's it, and we do it all the time when we when we see whether a screwdriver will fit into a difference into a screw or use or use a tool. We're always trying to find something that's going to work. But but the problem that I see that we've had is that we've come to associate uh, scientific materialism with science as if, as if a materialistic orientation is the only way to understand the world. And let me be let me be uh, explicit here by and I, I say this a lot but by materialism, I, I mean that what we know as reality is ultimately reducible to mindless stuff and that the fundamental thing is a particle and that consciousness either doesn't exist or some kind of off-gas, some kind of emergent property from matter. And it's really that, that problem that I think we need to break through, Frank, is is we need to apply the methods of science to what we experience as opposed to coming up with these preordained models and then casting aside anything that doesn't fit, such as reincarnation, the paranormal, etc. So this is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm very happy to be talking right now with Frank uh, Huguenard, the producer of three very well-done documentary films uh, on going beyond spirituality and science. We're talking about his newest film, Beyond Reason, which has recently been nominated for a People's Choice Award. Now, now, Frank, there's something about quantum theory here that, to me, provides an entry point to a lot of of the to a lot of this in other words it's, it's an entry point to to me to break down some of the these these barriers we have in finding a place for spirituality in science 
So what, and I, and I know you've studied quantum theory, but what is it about quantum theory that folks should know that provides clues about the kind of world we live in? Uh, in quantum theory, there is something called the collapse of the wave function, and the Heisenberg describes this in his uh, Heisenberg principle. This is almost 100 years ago that he developed this. Um, and the Heisenberg principle basically says that the observer to the experiment changes the results, which, you know, if you understand the, the methodology, I mean, you were talking a little bit ago about the methods of science. But behind science, there's also a faith. And and I've had a lot of discussions over the years with either religious people or scientists or atheists, and the conversations are almost identical. It's amusing to me how 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 this the structure of the arguments is is practically the same, except the, of course, they're changing out the the actual arguments, whether it's a a Bible or or uh, modern physics. But in um, in in their arguments, yeah, the methodology talked about just makes sense. And I make the case in Beyond Reason how we can use that same set of methodology. Okay, here's a hypothesis. Here's some definitions and some uh, assumptions that we're going to make. Here's the theory. And here's some technical, uh, practical techniques that we're going to use to either verify the theory or not. Um, and this all works uh, in spirituality as well as it does for figuring out if a screw works for a screwdriver. Um, but these these arguments that I have with these scientific types, there's this faith that they have that nothing beyond the material world is provable. And anything that you talk about that's beyond that is all according to them. They just throw it away as pseudoscience. Right. Which is, which is quite fascinating. And the whole problem with their entire methodology and their faith is that quantum mechanics, the collapse of the wave function, completely obliterates their faith. It tells us in, unequivocally in no uncertain terms that the material world is what we see it as, that you, your experience of the material world is going to be different from mine. And Einstein's theory on relativity says the same thing, that, that there is no objective reality, that everybody else, everybody has their own perception of reality. Yeah, and, and what is uh, so amazing, and I think, frankly, I think the, the book The Tao of Physics sort of started this, but in this this connection between con, uh, between quantum theory and mysticism, or or quantum theory and Eastern philosophy, but according to quantum theory, which is the leading theory of the physical world, consciousness has a in inevitable role. Now you point out. In your in your move in your film Beyond Reason, that not all modern physicists are finding a place for consciousness in quantum theory, but as you also say, and I think we and we said on the show before, is that the founders of quantum theory couldn't separate quantum theory from consciousness, and what that shows, I think, is that we may be looking at this picture upside down. In other words, and this is where the Vedanta and Eastern philosophy comes in. By upside down, I mean we are, under the current materialistic standpoint, we look at the world and we think that 
consciousness either doesn't exist or some kind of trivial off gas. If you switch it around and you look at the physical world as an outgrowth of consciousness, now things start making more sense. And and so did, was this something that you yourself uh, concluded, or 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 is this is this this understands where you're going with with your um, with your films that we have it upside down? Is that correct? Sure, that's 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 the way I I think that's exactly the right way to look at it. I mean, they had, you know, they had the uh, the conference in um, I, I don't remember maybe Copenhagen or somewhere uh, in 1927 where you had Niels Bohr and Schrödinger and Einstein and Heisenberg and Wigner, uh, I think 27 or 30 of the the leading you know what they call the fathers of modern physics were all there. And they looked at the collapse of the wave function, and it, they just automatically concluded that what you're saying, basically, that we have it upside down, that there's consciousness, is the um, the missing link. It's the field, um, that, as Max Planck said, and um, and that's they they couldn't. Modern science. The problem is, is modern science could never prove this because of modern science's limitations. And so ever since 1927, that belief uh, that that consciousness is what causes the collapse of the wave function waned and waned and waned. And right now, you would be hard-pressed to find anybody unless they're ready to be retired and they don't mind having <laughs> their reputation smeared. Uh, you would be hard-pressed to find any modern-day quantum physicist who's willing to put his name on the line and say, yes, consciousness causes the collapse of the wave function. Because every, in science and in academia, your reputation is everything, and you can't, you can't stray beyond what the world of science can or cannot disprove. Yeah, I I saw that in your film, and a couple a couple people came to mind. Some of whom have been guests on the show. For example, if I was if I was putting a curriculum together on necessary books to read to understand what the heck I'm talking about in the show, uh, I would, by the way, I would include Frank's films and his Beyond Reason film in there because it's always nice to have a, a film to watch instead of a book sometimes. But one of the books I'd put in there would be Quantum Enigma by Bruce Rosenblum and, and Fred Kuttner. And they say something very, very significant, but it's subtle, but they come right out and say it. They say that, that it's not a situation where there's a bunch of floating electrons out there and then consciousness chooses which one is really is real by collapsing some probability wave. What they say is that there is no electron, there is no particle until the consciousness comes into the picture, implying, of course, that consciousness is creating the world, not just collapsing the wave function. And that is really controversial, uh, except for the fact that a lot of Eastern religion philosophy is based upon the same thing. Uh, so, so it's really, it's really a remarkable thing, Frank, because you know I I ha I have a book where I talk about this as well. And even though when you read the quantum theorists, they say things like, "Oh, there is the probability wave," or "There's it's it's a you know some kind of wave function." they still think that thing, whatever it is, that energy is outside of consciousness. That, to me, is the key thing. They still 
want it to be outside of consciousness. Right, and this this does defies logic. I mean, it helps yeah. to understand Eastern philosophy, and and like I said, Vedanta itself is a science. It gives you definitions and assumptions. It says, okay, here's here's the self. The self is this. And then you make some assumptions, and okay, here's what the assumptions we're going to work from, and here's some ideas, and so it's a very scientific process of, of discovery and, and wanting to know the truth, the absolute truth. Um, there's this definition for truth that I like, which is, the truth is that which doesn't change. Anything that changes isn't real. Um, in 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 other words, everything is Maya, which is very Eastern in in philosophy. Right. And and if you apply that to quantum mechanics, you can see that okay, that that completely makes sense. Everything is changing. Everything around us it has it has a is has a finite, limited amount of existence. It might be fifteen or thirty billion years, but it's still finite. And underneath that is a substrate that is eternal, um, and that is the truth, and that is the self. Yes, yes, and I I think that, um, to me. <laughs> It is so similar, the Vedantic Vedantic, uh, approach is so similar to Descartes, uh, I think, therefore I am. It's it's from two different standpoints. And just for background, uh, you know, Descartes being the I think, therefore I am guy, uh, who is... Pro- has got to be one of the top five to ten thinkers of all time, because not only did he really start modern philosophy, but he also... Uh, dabbled in mathematics and was an early scientist but he said that nothing is as certain as the fact that he was thinking that the mind is the base of knowledge because you can't have uh, greater certainty over the fact that he was thinking uh, than over that the physical world existed on its own power now because he was an orthodox um, uh, I think uh, Christian he he would not let go of the concept of God, and so he wound up. So he wound up sort of taking on faith that a world existed outside of his mind. But the point here is that the origins of Western philosophy and Eastern philosophy begin with consciousness, which I think is really cool. Now, one of the things you do that I want to make sure the listeners are aware of that will maybe encourage them to look at one of your more one or more of your films is that you tie in some modern culture, modern films, to your themes. And, and you know, for example, I saw you have excerpts from The Matrix and Inception, which are two really amazing movies. And then, of course, uh, you have something on The Terminator in another one of your movies. <laughs> but but in, the, in The Matrix, what did you find, what led you to to those films and, and what do you think it all means in other words why is it that we're having films on these very topics we're talking about here uh, well I mean Matrix is actually pretty pretty famous for being a Vedantic uh, exposition if you just google uh, Matrix Vedanta you'll probably come across dozens of different mm-hmm. articles or reviews of the film that talk about it um, so it's pretty commonly known especially with people who study Eastern uh, philosophy that the, the the basic premise of the film is is very similar to Vedanta, um, but I I really wanted to make the point um, in the in in my film Beyond Reason uh, that 
so much of what we see in modern culture and even Star Wars, I mean, Joseph Campbell was uh, the consultant for Star Wars. Um, Yoda is Sanskrit for warrior, and there's a whole bunch of Sanskrit words that are used in those films. And Joseph Campbell was an expert on Vedanta. And so you get a lot of, I mean, the force is, is the same thing as prana, which is a big thing in, in, uh, in Vedanta and the manipulation of prana. Uh, so you get a lot of things in modern culture that are seeping in over the years that are really based on this Eastern philosophy. Um, and the other, the other point I try to make, and I make this in Beyond Belief as much as anywhere else, but it's, it's really in all the films. If you take... You know, if you have a scientific approach to this and you want, you don't care what, you know, what the, what, where it leads you, but you just want to, you want to know and you want to look at all the different traditions and patterns. Once you understand the Eastern philosophy and you understand it from this, from the standpoint of practical experience, you've meditated, you, you, you're, you know, you've, you've achieved transcendent states of consciousness then when you go back and you listen to the masters, whether it's Jesus or anybody else, then all of a sudden, or the matrix even, I mean, these things are sort of contemporary in the sense that from this new perspective that you have, from this trans, uh, transcendent perspective, then you understand all of these things from a whole new uh, viewpoint. Yeah, I think that that is really cool. I, I always thought the movie Inception is a pretty wild film when you think about it because they're they're going in deep into lucid dreams to change people's memories and it's almost as if i don't know who inspired the author of that book that became the movie but that also that seems to be a step beyond uh the matrix because you know in in my own book i talk about uh socrates in in one of in uh one of plato's um dialogues of Theotetus where Socrates comes out and says essentially that well suppose we're dreaming right now uh, isn't it true that you can't tell the difference between um, the a a dream at night and the and the and the and the waking world is it possible that it's just one of degrees it's it's really a you know it's it's an observation that have been made over the years uh, what I think is really cool about films like the Matrix and Inception and and even Star Wars is that they're reflecting something in our in our in our consciousness. They're 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 a projection of what our the big brains you know the big minds going through. We're sort of projecting the the turmoil or the issues that we have deep inside of us out into these fil- films. That that's that's the way I would look. I think it's really an interesting commentary on the state of our of our brains. This is Philip Miriton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm happy to be speaking to Frank Huguenard, the uh, producer of three films on science and spirituality, including Beyond Reason, Beyond Me, and Beyond Belief. Now, turning to another topic here, one of the problems that we have in the spirituality realm, as you know, Frank, is this thing called evidence. Because science, as we've alluded to, is based upon testing, evidence, and if, 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 if whatever you're experimenting with can't be measured, tested, then some would say it has no value. 
how do you how do you respond to people that say, well, the stuff that you're talking about is too mystical, can never be part of science? Well, I would say the only thing missing, you can do a step-by-step comparison between the modern scientific method and what I put forward in Beyond Reason. And the only thing, there is independent verification. There is methods and techniques and, and hypotheses and theories and testing. The only thing that is missing from the Vedantic perspective is peer review. Actually, I would even argue that peer review is, is, is also part of it. If, if I go through the, the scientific process and I go through all the techniques and I begin to have some experiences, you follow that same protocol and you have those same experiences and someone else has those same experiences and I write an article, you can review that article and you can say, yes, this is exactly what I've experienced. I went through, I followed these. And I would say for people who are not willing to conduct the experimentation yourself, then they don't really have a much of a ground to stand on. Um, that the evidence is there, but unfortunately, compared to the material world, where you can show other people. In this case, I can't possibly show you, Philip, that I've had some experience. Right. I can I can say, wow, I just you know I had just had some amazing transcendent experience, but in order for you to prove it to yourself, you have to conduct the experiments yourself. You can't rely on other people to do the experimentation for you. Yeah, I I think that I think that that that's a that's been an issue this whole thing about measurements and experiments. But I I think we're breaking through this a little bit, and I think it's going both ways. You know, I I read a lot of science uh, books and articles, and it's it's really amazing reading the critiques of things like the multiverse. You know, the multiverse being this idea that uh, we just happen to live in the universe that is programmed to support life. There's a trillion upon trillion trillion other universes that are that are just random creations that aren't finely tuned to support life. And when you get into it, at least half of the scientific community thinks that the multiverse is, as Joe Biden would say, malarkey, because it can't it can't be proven. And that's exactly what they say. There's an article in Scientific Scientific American uh, by Joseph Ellis who simply who says exactly the same thing. He said the multiverse may be philosophy, but it's not science. And we could say the same thing about string theory. There's books just criticize as cool as the theory sounds that there's these little vibrating strings at the base of reality. Uh, there are leading physicists such as Lee Smolin who don't think it's science because there's not only is there's no test to prove string theory, there's no idea of what a test would actually be. So this goes to your point earlier, Frank, about the faith part of science. There's a, there's a faith, the materialistic faith that that it's all going to come uh, true sometime. Uh, and so I, and then the last little point I may, I'll make is with regard to testing, you know, I think that the placebo effect and certain variants of, of spiritual healing, energy healing, is showing the power of consciousness over the physical world. I mean, I think that, I think, I don't know if you, I know you had Bruce Lipton on one of your, um, in mm-hmm. one of your movies. And he's, you know, he's famous for that. So, so have you, have you studied, uh, you know, the power of mind over the body? Sure. I mean, I'm a huge. I mean, like you said, everything's sort of upside down. I mean, right. from my perspective, it's, 
it's uh, people are looking at it from the wrong angle. Um, really, um, what science needs to understand, I mean, look, uh, Stephen Hawking just came out, I think it was just yesterday, he made this announcement that there's no such thing as black holes. Hmm, uh, I missed that. Oh, yeah. It, I'm, it's just, I mean, it just came across the wire, so I'm sure you'll see it in the next few days. And he's just saying, well, there's this effect that we noticed two years ago that sort of is a paradox, and therefore science, black holes can't exist. They're just horizons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I never really, I was not a big, I've never been a big black hole fan anyways, but go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, That's amazing. No, it's just, it's yeah. just to me that uh, consciousness is, is really at the forefront but you can't, I mean, you can have, you know, you can set up a prayer uh, consortium and we can, we can have 100,000 people praying and, and every day we can heal a new person. And we can do this for 15 years and, and heal, you know, 150,000 people. Yes. It would never, that wouldn't be any proof. <laughs> yeah. You know, the science needs proof. They want they want to understand the mechanism. They want to be able to say unequivocally, here if you do this, you're going to get this result. Yeah. And anything in the in the consciousness realm. I mean, you must be familiar with Rupert Sheldrake. Right. He, he, right. Yeah, he was, he, right. He, he was here about a year ago. I had him on the show. He's a he's he's um <clears throat> yeah. I'd put him as a leader in this area. Go ahead. Right. But, you know, he sort of is frustrated as, as the rest of us because the scientific community can't really go any further until they embrace consciousness as, as a factor in their equations. Right. I mean, in the mathematic world, there's something called imaginary numbers, which is, this, this, for example, the square root of negative one. Now, the square root of negative one doesn't exist. It can't exist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an imaginary number. And yet, with the inclusion of the square root of negative one, you can all of a sudden start solving a lot of mathematical equations that couldn't be solved any other way. Yeah. And if you, take, if you do the same thing with reincarnation, all of a sudden you can solve a lot of things in psychology that couldn't have been solved before. Yeah. Well, you just said something really important that I want to I want to underscore because I think that this the square root of negative one. I mean, you know, I tell my daughter that you know, you multiply a negative by negative, you, you get a positive. A positive by a positive, you get a positive. But and a negative by a, a positive, and you get a negative. But there's no two numbers that you could multiply to get a negative one. And it is imaginary. So why? Why? I think it's a really an amazing thing that that a imaginary number is part of the equations that help explain the world. I, that is <laughs> that is just an amazing. It's an amazing fact. And um, you know, we really do right, have right. Sci science but, science is quite willing to accept something completely <laughs> irrational, yeah. completely irrational, yeah. because it solves some equations for them. Yeah. And yet, something that's actually fairly rational, like reincarnation. Well, wait a second. Energy can't be created or destroyed. Okay, reincarnation makes sense. Yeah. Well, they can't accept that, even yeah. though it solves all kinds of equations in the in the in yeah. the physical world. Yeah. Well, I I think I think in the forefront here. And now, folks who who were wondering if we were, if we were going to go beyond anything, this is where we start going beyond some things. Although um, Dean Radin, who was a guest uh, a couple months ago, you know, he's done some experiments where he starts getting into um, sort of mass consciousness or uh, mass consciousness effects on the physical world. 
And I really think that's where things are going. And you mentioned earlier about, you know, a prayer group. The If there is one consciousness, then to me, the more that that consciousness works together, the greater the effect it's going to have on the physical world. And, and that, to me, is a scientific hypothesis. And, you know, Dean Radin has these experiments where he used a random number generator during like major global events one of them humorously was the oj simpson chase uh <laughs> where everyone was fixated on this this uh low speed chase with the suv uh through beverly hills or wherever it was but during these events academy awards super bowl during these events where a lot of people are focused billions of people it had an effect on the random number generator which means it was measurable that this random number generator stopped generating as many random numbers as it was it's 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 sort of a it's somewhat of a vague i would call a vague result but it does show that there is a connection between consciousness and the physical world it's really a fascinating area and I'm happy to say that certain people, like Rupert Sheldrake and Dean Radin and Charles Tart, and there's several others, they don't really care what's, what science is saying. They're just doing their experiments. And whatever the result is, the result is. And so I think you've got to give these guys credit for, for having the courage to let the data go where the data goes. And there's, a, there's this great experiment that's been done a few times uh, where they have large groups of meditators. So, you know, along the same lines, there is one consciousness and the physical world has a interrelationship with the non-physical world. And they've had, they, for instance, they went into Washington DC and I think there was 2,000 meditators. And they went to the police department. They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to meditate and uh, every day for an hour over the summer and, and let's just see what happens. And of course the police kind of laughed at them. <laughs> and Sure enough, over that summer, there was a 25, I believe it was a 25% uh, decrease in crime in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And, and so you had this, you know, people quieting their minds and getting into a state of thoughtless awareness, thousands of people doing this. And that effect of calming their minds calmed all the people's minds in the, in the metropolitan area. Yes. Yes. And, and so I, I want to sort of put this together a little bit because... You know, if you start off from the standpoint, and you call it an hypothesis, if you start from the standpoint that consciousness is at the root of what we know as the, the world, the physical world, as opposed to particles that are outside of us, if you start off with that as your premise, that we start making sense of a lot of these phenomena but you sort of have to clear the mind frank you know this is this is what i i'm starting to see out here we have a lot of people who are half pregnant um <laughs> in, in other words that we we want to keep one foot in the current scientific mindset and sort of one foot in this new spirituality movement i find it's a lot more productive to take both feet out and jump into to one of them into the into the consciousness is fundamental because things start, things start making a lot of sense, and you and you start getting to experiments like you just mentioned, you know, the the mass meditation, uh, the mass attention uh, of people on one global event, and you start conducting experiments like that, the placebo effect, 
Bruce Lipton, The Biology of Belief. And now, now you have experiments and you have results. And I think we start making progress into what I hope will be a new, a new science. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking to Frank Huguenard, a documentary film producer of, of three very fascinating films, including Beyond Reason, Beyond Me, and Beyond Belief. And Frank, I'd like to move here to reincarnation for a second. You've mentioned it a couple times. And your, your first film, Beyond Me, gets into this a little bit. And a lot, I think a lot of people are just really intrigued by reincarnation I think I I think the statistics are something like around 50% of the people believe in in uh, in reincarnation first of all what led you to get interested in reincarnation uh, well it's interesting you know when I put that film together I grappled with it for a long time of whether or not to even include that segment um, but it's such an important element. If you watch the film, it is the glue that holds everything together. It really explains everything from modern personality disorders to Darwin's theory of evolution. Um, so it's really quite an important element. And to me, it all goes back to basically putting the film together um, and and wanting to explain, you know, or motivate or inspire people to start meditating. And you know, here in the West. If you go to a psychologist, you know, you're going to get a lot of, okay, tell me about your mother or, you know, you know, and you have a lot of problems from this particular lifetime. And while those things are definitely important in putting impressions in your mind, uh, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, they really pale in comparison. You know, it's, it's taken you 100,000 years or a million years to form the mind that you have. You know, the patterns and the traits and the tendencies and, the, and how people behave. Um, and the key to that is is reincarnation. And the, and the case is made in this film that if you take consciousness as the pervading substrate that underlies all of creation, and you understand that uh, all animal instincts, from butterflies to salmon spawning to bears hibernating or whatever the greatest instinctive behaviors that we've observed in nature can all be explained by consciousness itself learning from one lifetime to the next to the next to the next and that's how sort of knowledge and behavior gets propagated and then you juxtapose upon that the state of mankind on this planet you know if you look at all the amazing perfection in in the in the animal kingdom and in the universe and then you look at humanity where we've killed murdered 100 100 million of our own species over the last 100 years you know something's gone horribly wrong and the case is made in the film that you know all the traits and tendencies that make up the, the, you know the misery that's that's the human condition which is categorized mostly into personality disorders all those behaviors are basically no different from animal instincts and that the way that we can move beyond those traits and tendencies is we can remove them from our consciousness through the art of meditation now there was a lot there's a lot there that that you that you said and the first of all the film has a story about the monarch butterfly which i thought which i I thought was really 
really interesting and a lot of folks may not may not appreciate I mean we we all know the miracle of the of the butterfly coming from the caterpillar cocoon but there there's something about the monarch butterfly that maybe you could just summarize that sort of sets the tone for this a little bit because I want to ask you another question but why don't you give a summary of the whole of the of the monarch butterfly Sure. And yeah, most people jump to the conclusion, oh, you've included butterflies. Yeah, it's all about the metamorphosis. No, yeah, no, no. The yeah. monarch butterfly is remarkable. It, they, they, um, they hatch in a, a very tiny mountain range down in Mexico. Most of them do. And they migrate north over the, from April all the way to August. And they'll, they'll have six or seven generations of monarchs. The first generation may be Texas, and then Oklahoma, and then Missouri, and then Iowa, and then Minnesota, and then up to Canada or something like that. And then the, and then the seventh generation will turn around and in one single trip, basically, fly all the way back to the same exact mountain range that their great, 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 great grandparent, um, uh, you know, started. And, and of course, this can't possibly be explained scientifically, and scientists will just wave their hand and they'll just say, oh, this is just one of the mysteries of nature, and, and they can't, and there's no way you can, I mean, maybe some people can explain this, oh, it's somehow in the DNA, uh, but you have something basically the size of a leaf that after seven generations knows how to get back to where it lived, you know, so many thousands of years, um, I mean, so many lifetimes ago. Yes, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's an amazing story, and it's really well done in the film, and it's the kind of thing where if you ask a, I guess it would be a biologist, uh, how it happens, I'm sure he or she would say, well, the butterfly has this, something in their little brains or their, as you say, their DNA, and it goes on and off or, you know, something in their brain. But it doesn't explain how the later generation could have this memory uh, that have, that compels it to go back to its original birthplace. It, 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 to me, it's, it's really a, a fact, and, and I'm sure, Frank, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stories like that. There's a lot of different sort of coincidences uh, in the in the animal world, the whole the whole issue of animal instincts itself is a fascinating topic. But now you lead now that's a, a very very cool sort of suggestion to me that there is some kind of underlying memory, and from there that provides sort of a a foundation to talk about reincarnation, and so so. You, you talk about the boy in uh, the, the boy that, that really is an incredibly compelling story about him being a down fire pilot in World War II. How did, how did you come upon that story? Yeah, James Leininger, um, there's a few, a few stories about him. He's one of the most famous studied um, children. I mean, most, most um, reincarnation stories come from small children because once they're brought into this physical world, they they remember less and less of their previous births. And by the time they're five or six or seven years old, um, they've lost it. But his story is, I mean, it's it would be very difficult for anybody with a, with a, a model, mildly open mind to watch this news story about James Leninger and come away from it thinking, 
well, that's just coincidence. I right. mean, there's too many compelling, you know, he, he, he meets one of his sisters from his previous birth. He's telling her things that no one else would possibly know. Um, he looks at photographs of, 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 of his previous, you know, uh, incarnation, and he's able to name some of the, the, the people on the ship that he was serving on in World War II. I mean, it's just incredible the amount of the detailed information that this little boy has about his previous birth. It's just quite amazing. Um, and, you know, there's, a, the, um, but there's been a lot of research done on these kinds of anecdotal stories. I mean, thousands and thousands of stories. If you research into it, um, you know, there's there's no shortage of these stories, but again, there's no scientific proof. And you can have a hundred thousand stories that are just as compelling and James, as James Laninger's, um, but into the scientific community, that really doesn't mean anything. Right, right. And this this points out what what we've been saying on this show, what you say in your movies, is that the tendency of the current modern scientific mindset is that if a physical event does not fit their model such as telepathy mind over matter reincarnation life after death and we could go on and on and on that that, that therefore it doesn't exist if it doesn't well, fit I, the model I, I would correct that a little bit okay. they they say because i know a lot i've had this discussion with good friends of mine who are scientists and it's they wouldn't say that it doesn't exist I per se. I mean, some of them would, some of them wouldn't. But the scientific method says, since we're unable to prove, there's a, there's something called a, a testing for a falseness. Right. If we can't test against this as being true, then we're not going to look. We're not. We can't include it. It's not rational to include into our. <coughs> excuse me. Into our. In, we can't factor that into our equations. Right. Um, which is again goes back to the square root of a negative one. It's like okay, fine, you can do it for that, but you yeah. can't do it. Uh, to me, that's hilarious. Yeah, but, th- but they don't say it doesn't exist. They just say we, you know, we're not going to look at that. Yeah, well, it's it's sort of like ignoring events that don't fit the model. And you know, going back to this is the reason why I think reincarnation is a valid topic is because if you go back to the consciousness first model then you could explain it, just like you're saying. I mean, you could explain it as being consciousness is evolving, it's undertaking new forms. Once in a while, the a memory from the consciousness will appear in a, in a, in a new form. Now, I, I have no idea wh- whether, this is a, whether this is consistent, whether we're all reincarnated something, you know, forms from prior uh, people or whether it just happens sort of sporadically. But that that is something that at least you could start understanding it. And, you know, to me, there's a resistance in the scientific community about getting all touchy-feely about this stuff. You know, but, well, it, it, it somehow has the look of being, you know, unscientific. But the, the role, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm very conservative on this point, the role of science... As, as as being a body of knowledge is to explain events that occur in the world that we need a theory that explains everything because if it doesn't explain everything then it's inadequate and and so the consciousness first uh, paradigm I think goes a lot farther in explaining things like reincarnation than this uh, 
than than the materialistic model. So so what are you working on now? You have a you have another uh, movie in the works, or is it is it in, is it a concept, or what what stage is it in, Frank? Uh, yeah, my next film is uh, Beyond Thought. Um, you know, it's funny. Originally, I thought I was just going to be done and be finish one and be done with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, once it wasn't viewed a million times in the first week, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I've yeah. heard from countless people over and over again that that Beyond Me is uh, you know a much better film than what the bleep do we know? Oh, I yeah. am yeah. Thrive, yeah. The Secret, um, Zeitgeist, all those films put together because it's. I, I'm assuming um, not only does it have a fairly detailed explanation for how things are, but it's very practical. Right. It says it says not only is this, but it's empowering because it says, look, you know, modern psychologist says if you've got borderline personality disorder, you're screwed. You, you yeah. know, you have to basically live your life away in mis managed misery. Whereas what Beyond Me says is, no, there's a cure for any any mental problems that we have. It's called meditation. Um, anyway, so I ended up doing uh, the trilogy, and now I'm doing Beyond Thought, which is about the nature of thought. What is a thought? Where do thoughts originate? Um, you know, why do we have so many? You know, we have sixty or seventy thousand thoughts per day, and eighty percent of those are the same thoughts over and over and over again. Um, so, what is a thought? Where do they originate? Um, and uh, you know, how do they interrelate between sort of the consciousness and the physical world? Yeah, that, that that sounds like a like a, like another really interesting film. I and I because we have a couple of minutes, I'd like to have you just ad address this point about mental illness and 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 the beyond me thing because you you said that the you know, looking at um, consciousness as being primary, uh, we start having a way to understand. Uh, mental illnesses. Could you just elaborate upon that a little bit? Sure. I, that's 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 a great. You know, I think you're the first person to ever ask me that question. That's great. Um, I have my own definition for mental illness or or a scale where, uh, you know, it's a scale of one to ten where uh, one is, you know, the most psychotic, schizophrenic, sociopathic. You know, whatever the whatever the lowest of the scale is, that's the one. And on the 10 would be an enlightened master, right? I mean, okay. obviously, that's a person of, of refined, pure uh, consciousness, that they're mental, they, they have no more mental illnesses, no more delusions. Um, and I think most people on this planet right now probably are around maybe a three or a four. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, like I said, we've murdered a million of, a hundred million of our own species in the last hundred years. We're not very mentally healthy uh, species or animal um, and so really the focus of my films and of meditation and of every spiritual master that's ever been on this planet is to improve our mental health uh, to get us to be um, you know content and, and happy you know joy is our, our is our birthright and um, and so obviously a, a good corollary would be somebody with better mental health is going to be happier right Right. And and, you know, I I'm interested in that topic because, you know, and Frank and just for full disclosure, I my own opinions align almost exactly with with what you're saying in your films. And to me, it's very similar. I mean, if you look at meditation, 
as being uh, eliminating the attachments to the physical world and being in a pure mind state. The if if our goal is to align ourselves with the way or the truth or the way things really are, then and to go quote unquote with the flow, then to me that is mental health, and and this ties back to how I started the show, which is this concept of conditioning beliefs. You know, we're conditioned to think a certain way, whether it's science, religion, or about the person next door, or whatever it is, or about international politics. But breaking through those conditioning beliefs is, is I think, essential to sort of finding out, you know, who you are inside and, and what we really are. And I find that that the this this way and maybe it's a a, a Buddhist kind of mentality um, is is fundamental to mental health and let me use a different word it's fundamental to happiness uh, be, because it's aligning what our current egos are with what we really truly are inside but that's my two cents on the matter so Frank I'd like to thank you very much for your time. Uh, I I want to um, my independent opinion is I have seen what the bleep do we know and I am and I, I think that Frank's films I think you will find them uh, to be very well done and more informative professional and scientific so I would recommend any any of his films and uh, Frank your website is again beyond me film right Correct. Or if you just Google Beyond Me Frank, I think it's the first thing that comes up. Right, right. Okay, so uh, I highly recommend them. They're on, they're on his, uh, his website. They are on um, YouTube as well. And we'll be looking for the new, the new film Beyond Thought. And Frank, if there's anything else you'd like to tell the listeners before we um, close things out here, go right ahead and um, anything that you'd like to add about, about uh, what you're doing. Uh, well, there's just one thing. If people are interested in DVDs of the films, um, you can go to my site and just for a, a nominal donation, which will, uh, again, go towards the uh, all proceeds go towards my next film. I'll uh, happy sh happily ship you out a, a three pack DVD of my three uh, films. Yes. yes. And once again, I highly recommend the films. Uh, and again, our whole mission here is to go beyond science and religion and to go beyond ourselves and reason and see what is there when we take this courageous step. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Mirton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.